to Lower Dorks, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me is Stavros. Tonight, we're looking back at Season 1, and what are you drinking, Stavros? Uh, well, at your recommendation, I am drinking Bird Dog flavored whiskey. Mine happens to be um, the peach flavor. And what are you drinking? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely didn't recommend peach. I don't know why you would think that's a direction you want to go. Um, I am drinking Bird Dog as well. However, I am drinking a black cherry uh, whiskey. I have never actually had this before, so uh, looking forward to it. Um, Bird Dog has a wide selection of flavored whiskeys. Their base is actually a bourbon whiskey, which I'm not mm. a big fan of bourbon, but their flavored whiskeys are just excellent. Nice. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I was a little unsure about the peach at first but now that i've had now that i've you know gotten going on it i have to say it's not bad so good choice good deal all right well let's talk about why why the heck we're doing this show um so lower decks you know an animated show that's star trek so we are obviously star trek fans um why i mean why aaron why are you doing this what what possessed you to to get on oh, I mean, show. it's because of those photos you have of me, Stavros. I don't really <laughs> have a choice. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> no, you know, it's it, it's funny. Um, when Lower Decks was first announced, I was all like, "This sounds dumb," right? But you know, it's there's been a slew of series that just off the cuff sounded not enjoyable to me. But as they've come out, they've done just a stellar job, and I think that's kind of a truth of, um production is that if your production values are good if your writing is on point most uh topic settings most ideas can be turned into something entertaining Uh, it just requires that work to bring it all into fruition right i I totally agree i I feel like this show could have easily been really bad (laughs) but then it wasn't (laughs) <laughs> and there are moments where it definitely flounders, but yeah, as a sure. whole, it, it's definitely my favorite at this point of the new crop of Star Trek uh, entertainment. Um, I did enjoy uh, Discovery, um, especially the first couple of seasons. Uh, it, again, high points, low points, but overall it was right. very enjoyable. Uh, Picard, I enjoyed quite a bit up until the final episode. Um <laughs> Looking forward to seeing what they're going to do in the second season. And uh, Lower Decks, really enjoyable, but it is very much a love letter to the Star Trek fans. Whereas the others are just an attempt at modernizing Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's interesting. This show, I mean, for me to love to want to love the show enough to do a show like this, it's it straddles this you know humor humor animated show, obviously, um, but it straddles like this part where it's like either it's making fun of the show but it's also serious enough to be in the universe and like straddling that line it's like just really um you know really did it for me so um i have to agree like i you know i i think discovery and picard are good in their own ways but i think lower decks are definitely the front runner as far as like the current trek shows on the air so in my opinion they do a do a pretty good job of straddling that line uh, a lot of the episodes the humor is very good um, the storylines are excellent the uh, messages it's very Star Trek in its messages often and it's it's really interesting uh, just how they brought all that about but they also do two very different branches of humor they do the wink wink nudge nudge you remember this from the past right. humor yeah <laughs> and then they do the just situational humor the character interaction comedy um and honestly i find that the latter they tend to hit on more with it being more humorous than their callbacks you know uh they often will do uh i remember the episode where they're talking about the uh you know who are the you know toughest guys or whatever from you know, the past and like one person's right. like, Khan, he's genetically engineered. He's amazing. <laughs> and the other guy is referencing that terrible TOS episode or not TOS TNG episode yes. where the Rogue soldier, are, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's all like, so it, it's kind of humorous, but it just, it doesn't really hit as well as, right. you know, the, just the situational humor that follows that where it's red alert and the one guy altered the speakers right. to make them louder, but <laughs> screwed it up. And, you know, that's that's something that's it's relatable humor, too. But they do right. also have, for instance, the joke where uh, 
Ransom references the TOS era. And you're just like, whoa, wait, what? You know, right. it's very like fourth wall breaking. Yeah. And then he says, oh yeah, those old scientists. <laughs> it's, it is. It's a fantastic so joke. Um, but then, of course, he names a bunch of people that weren't actually scientists. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the line had to be drawn somewhere with the joke. But yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 weird. Just the, the humor that fits with the in-universe thing. Because they, you know, Ransom makes the TOS thing work in, in-universe somehow. Oh, and so. it, it's such a cheesy joke and so <laughs> fits with the character they established for Ransom. Yeah, completely. Oh man. Well, let's let's talk more specifics then about like the casting crew specifically. I want to talk about the um, the creator first, Mike McMahon. So, I mean, in case you didn't know, we were talking about this earlier. He's before, you know, so he's he has his name on big name stuff like Rick and Morty um and Solar Opposites, which are both animated shows. But before that, I think before that, he's known for this TNG season 8 Twitter account, um which is just like a pitching of ridiculous plots uh, that would go into TNG season eight, which is like kind of in the same vein of comedy as, um, as the show itself. Um, but like, you know, he, I mean, he's definitely got this, his fingerprints all over the stuff. Uh, so you can kind of see the humor coming through from Rick and uh, Rick and Morty too. Yeah, definitely. Um, you actually had pointed out the uh, season eight Twitter to me. I had never even heard about this. Right. It is- <laughs> Is spot on hilarious, and I think kind of that shows uh, there's this thing that's happening right now, or has been happening for quite a while, where you know fans of things from the past have grown up and become like the uh, showrunners, or they're taking right. over those particular IPs, and. Right. Albeit, it can be very hit or miss for anybody who's ever read any fan fiction. Um, but uh, when it hits, it it hits really strong, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking back to, like, the, uh, you know, reboot of uh, Doctor... Not reboot, but uh, the continuation of Doctor Who was just fantastic. And a lot of that comes from the showrunners being people who grew up with Doctor Who. And I can very much see with this guy who I'd never really heard of, you know, I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty, didn't really enjoy Solar Opposites. But uh, Mike McMahon, I mean, it shows through that he really does love Star Trek and he is a fan and it's very apparent in the way the episodes are written. I'm just glad that he seems to be competent because there are a lot of people that are fans that are not competent. Like if I were to write an episode of the show, it would not be good. <laughs> but he at least seems to be competent enough where, like we were talking about before, like the, the balance between making the plots work and being referential and, but also good. Uh, it's a good balance, good balance to strike. So got to give him a thumbs up. He also looks like a huge nerd. So <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any standout characters that stick out for you in the show? So I, I've mentioned it previously, and I think you're kind of in the same boat, is I absolutely love Ransom. Um, <laughs> yes. It's also great that he is, you know, he's the bridge crew who are like, they're, they're main characters, but not really, you know, they're right. they're the secondary characters. You know, they're not the mm-hmm. Picard or Riker. They're like the, uh, in a complete role reversal, they're like the Chief O'Brien of the series, you know, <laughs> just right. always hanging out on the bridge. Um, but every time you see him, he's, he's ridiculous pop culture action sci-fi hero, but there's all (laughs) these moments where it's like, he basically embodies Starfleet ideals. You know, I always reference, uh, that episode where he is basically fighting with, uh, Mariner over who's going to go into the gladiatorial arena. Right. And he's like, no, I'm doing it because, you know, I'm the first officer. This is my job. And she's all like, I'm the best. I should do it. And he tricks her by stabbing her in the foot so he can do it. He walks out there and immediately just drops the sword and goes into a fist fight with the Goliath. Right. Right. And it's one of those things where you realize that this is a perfect example. And I'm really hoping they continue this of Mariner's character growth. Because she believes she's all Starfleet. She's handing out, you know, supplies, helping poor farmers, you know, doing what's got to get done and ignoring the rules. But in that moment, she was planning to go out there and just straight up kill that guy, right? Yes. Whereas, you know, her first officer, Ransom, he plans to go out there and fight the thing in fisticuffs and win and... (laughs) 
basically win over the local population by not murdering one of their members. Right. Yeah. It's a very Starfleet moment that I thought was fantastic. Yes. And, you know, honestly, uh, talking about Mariner, um, you know, I, I just finished uh, my most recent re- rewatch recently. Um, and I, I'm like strangely compelled by her character because, you know, I want to know why she got demoted. Um, and she, she's always flirting this line of being like hyper competent and hyper, you know, chaotic and going against the rules. Um, it's it's almost the point of like, I'm not really sure why she wasn't just ejected from Starfleet in the first place. Um, but I'm actually reference that I didn't catch it on my first walk watch through, but on rewatch, her mother specifically says that that is why she is on board the Cerritos because on any other ship, she would get bounced out of Starfleet so fast. So is her mom protecting her then? By having her on kind the ship, of, she tries to yeah. get her transferred off, and they're always at odds and driving each other crazy. So, yep, it's not super clear why she's why she's on the Cerritos, but um, well, yeah. But I mean, I've I got to say, like, I'm there's 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 enough hyper competence there that I'm I'm hoping that you know we can talk about what we want to see coming later. But you know, there's enough stuff there especially compared to some of the other characters um who i like but don't have don't seem to have the depth that uh, mariner has as far as you know this you know you know does she represent the best of starfleet um she's she's like too chaotic good you know instead of lawful good um so uh i really want to see what what is happening or what will happen with her in, in the coming seasons and and there's kind of implications that her mother was the same way when she was younger. Mm. And I'm thinking that's something that might get explored going forward. Interesting. Yeah, I, didn't, I hadn't considered that. They don't really talk much about um, about the captain's uh, past either. Different last name. I, th- th- does her dad have the last name, Mariner? You know, I, I don't recall. Um, her father shows up only briefly. Um, he is an admiral, Mariner. of course, which means yeah. that... <laughs> Eventually, he will go evil, um, <laughs> as, as all great admirals do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, I mean, of course, Nori Sato, who was true blue Starfleet to the end. Uh, yeah, greatest admiral in the series. <laughs> he may not be an admiral in the series anymore, but she'll always be the admiral of my heart. <laughs> so would you say Ransom is your favorite character then, even though he's not oh, well, a main character? Oh, no way. Um, played by, uh, fantastically, Jerry O'Connell, who I didn't even recognize until you pointed it out to me. <laughs> right. It amazes me how much that guy's voice, I want to say, has changed over the years. And I don't mean, like, the sound of his voice, but, like, the presence he brings. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, outside of this, obviously, I've mentioned I was a big fan of Sliders growing up. And he, that was kind of, I think it was kind of his breakout role. Um, he was in Stand By Me way, way back in the oh, 80s. Yeah. Sure. Um, but recently, it's it's interesting. He's actually does the voice of Superman in the DC animated series these days. Oh, or animated movies. Oh, and okay. I think that kind of carries over into his portrayal of Ransom. That that same uh, presence is there. Uh, Ransom mm. is much more ridiculous, but <laughs> still portrayed. Uh, right. Interesting. I I wanted to. I mean. It as uh, there's just it's just hard to pick. I, I I like things about about all the the various characters. I might have to go with Brotherford just because he's so. I don't know. There's like this this kind of funny innocence about him where he just wants to be in the tubes. I, I feel like that's just super compelling. Um, though speaking yeah. of Brotherford, I we we uh, you watched um the the first episode of Loki, I think right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, and that is, actor is in there. He's voice the actor uh, in there. Yeah, he's the uh, guy that takes the um, the cube from Loki when he uh, gets taken to the TVA, like the front desk guy. Eugene Cordero, really? <laughs> yeah. <Are you> <laughs> he has a completely. I mean, the, the dude knows how to modulate his voice. Put it that way. Well, I mean, good voice actors do. You yeah. Know. Sure. But yeah, I mean that guy has a lot of voice acting credits, but he does a little little. Uh, Live live action work too. I think uh, there is a lot of overlap there. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I, what I really want to talk about, though, uh, while he's not maybe not my favorite character, is Boimler. Um, you know, we were talking before. 
you know, it's it's hard to get on board with Boimler, especially in the early episodes, just because of the, you know, I mean, the dude's green. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but he he does. He's not exactly. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to like him up front, right? He's kind of he's a little bit whiny. Um, always upset at Mariner. It's funny you say that because on my first watch through. I was all like, ah, you know, Boimler is kind of a a wet wet rag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as the as the season goes along, he has a lot of character growth, right? But he's yeah. still very at his core the same character. On my second watch through, though, one of the things I found was Mariner, while very entertaining and fun to watch, is such a annoying character like it's yes. one of those where you like have to take a stop and moment uh, uh, a moment and think wow this if Should i knew this that? person in we- real life mm-hmm. i would not want to interact with her at all yeah. <laughs> has she straight up like stabs him and in- she trashed in the first like the first scene of the first episode she's trashed and yes. stabs him with a ballot which is a fantastic scene and very entertaining <laughs> yeah. right but like there's just all these moments where she's just uh, doing awful things. And <laughs> the, the uh, episode where, you know, she has to go to therapy yes. and she hijacks uh, Boimler's attempt to get promoted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, oh God. You know, and they do a good job though of giving her enough depth to where you accept that she does these things. You accept that she is, not a great person per se, right? but there's a reason behind it. So you're less like, oh, this is just a god-awful character. Whereas Boimler, yeah. uh, Boimler he's, uh, he's just kind of himself, and he rolls through it all, you know? Right. There's not a lot of depth there. He's just very straightforward. But I think that's kind of the point. Uh, Mariner is this... You know, very epic. I've been through things. I've lived my life. And Boimler is this, I'm starting out. I don't have a whole lot to me. And there are these opposite ends. And I think they're going to wind up meeting in the middle somewhere as the series goes along. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, we do see um, character development for Boimler. I mean, after all, he gets promoted at the end of the um, at the end of the first season. Um Although, like, I'm I'm a little concerned because there is, like, you mentioned, there's the um, the episode where he he's trying to, um, you know, figure out the the best way to approach the captain for this, you know, whatever this training program is to get him promoted or whatever. I um, mean, he completely fumbles the interview because he he just found out that um, Mariner is related to her. So, so I'm kind of wondering. I mean. You know, I'm again. I'm expecting a lot of, of internal consistency from <laughs> from this animated comedy show. But why did he get promoted from uh, you know after completely fumbling that interview and just not generally being that awesome? What happened? Oh, I mean, he didn't get promoted because he fumbled the interview. But I love the fact that they actually <laughs> take the time to show the captain's personal uh, opinion of it. <laughs> yeah. It's all like. Didn't prepare for the interview at all. For like the entire episode is him <laughs> jumping through hoops prepare for it. I know. I but... this, though, that episode is a perfect example of, you know, uh, two people who everything says that their friendship shouldn't work, but there's these really great character moments where the two interact and you see how friendships really do work, you know? Uh, right. There's, there's a certain honesty to the writing in the series that I actually enjoy, even though it's an, you know, over the top comedy sci-fi series. Completely. And that's, you know, again, it's, it's showing this, uh, strange depth to the show where it's funny, but also there's, there's depth to it. Um, but I, I, what I really want to talk about, but you've already completely dismissed before we talked before we started recording the show, but he has like me. hair. Ah, <laughs> oh, God! You Double bring hair. this up? Yes. Don't mean anything. <laughs> how? Look, how many humans do you know that have purple hair? All right. All I'm saying. Seven. Seven. Yeah. Naturally, can you see Boimler dyeing his hair? Come yes. on. No. Definitely not. <laughs> but I went down a a, uh, a memory alpha rabbit hole, and guess what? Ra- what race does have purple hair? It is the human-like species called the Catolans. 
showed up in the toss episode of Way to Eden. So I'm thinking Boimler has is not entirely uh, entirely human. He's 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 a little Simon Tarsus from uh, the Drumhead episode of TNG, where he's kind of passing himself off as human. But uh, you know, it's the purple hair. It's that episode where the Catulans uh, from. Uh, it's the way to Eden. It's the um, the hippie episode where Spock jams out with the hippies. Oh my God, no! <laughs> so yeah, you, know, you, you might have forgotten that. So, episode so maybe that's that. why Boimler's in Starfleet is because he didn't fit in with his own people. They're all out here just you know uh, being hippies, and he's all like, "No, you don't understand. We got to get serious. We got to set timetables. Here's the schedule. Follow it." They're like, hey man. I'm I'm just saying it's a possibility. I think he says he's human in the show, but and I realize you know I've done I've done my fair share of time on Reddit where they say you know the purple hair is you know because there are already characters of other hairs and they can't give them black because it'll mess with the character in this animated show. No, I refuse to believe it. He's part Catullin. Yeah, I'm sticking. I always that. assumed it was just a uh, reference to you know purple hair little biddies, and that is who Boimler is supposed to be. What? I've not heard that. What does that mean? Uh, you know, little old ladies that are all <laughs> sticklers and annoying, and they have uh, blue hair or whatever. No, I haven't heard that, although that does perfectly fit uh, Boimler as well. He's basically a little old lady in a uh, young man's body. Yes, yes. that's. Yeah, I think you're right. You're, 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 you might be on to something. Probably leads to a lot of alone time in his rack. <laughs> you know, speaking of, speaking of racks... They, you know, getting off the, the topic of character for a second, but you know, seeing the um, the area of the ship where people just sleep in the halls, very reminiscent of, of um, you know, real life um, submarines and stuff like that. I found that very compelling to see, you know, because you know, you got to think these ships have a zillion people. You can't just give give rooms to everyone, right? Oh, there's actually been analysis on this. Oh, um, ships like the the Galaxy class, right? The Enterprise. They have incredibly small crew complements for the internal volume of their ship. A lot of this kind of pre-assumes that that space is being used for things like scientific equipment, uh, internal storage, um, just, you know, whatever multi-purpose thing they might need. I think there's a few episodes in TNG where they reference the ability to take on a large number of refugees. Right. But you have also a lot of smaller ships, and it kind of does that scale down to where the smaller ships require much smaller crews. Right. And I think I think what we're seeing on the Cerritos and the uh, Defiant as well is you see that, no, they, they, the larger a ship is, the proportionally smaller percentage of space needed for the crew is. Right. So you can you can have big rooms, you know. You're serving on the Enterprise, you get your own suite, you know. But right. you're serving on the uh, Cerritos, and you're sleeping in a hallway. <laughs> you know, since we're talking about the ship anyway, what did, what was your reaction when you first saw the Cerritos, like the image, so, an image of the Cerritos? I love Star Trek ship design because it is uh, very much plays into the science as magic angle that you see a lot in Star Trek. Right. And you have all these flowing shapes and these weird, like, weak spots where it's all like, why would you build a ship like that? Oh, well, (laughs) you know, any way you build a ship, it's going to be flimsy because we have phasers that can, you know, glass a planet (laughs) from orbit. You're not going to be able to build anything to defend against that. But right. the Cerritos takes it an extra step where I'm just like, from a logistical standpoint, getting to the deflector dish is <laughs> a journey. <laughs> like, I want to visit my folks. I got to take a, I got to drive to the airport, take a plane to another airport, right. get on a bus, get picked up at the bus station, and then drive <laughs> to a nearby town. Right. I wouldn't design a ship that makes me do that same thing to go to work. You gotta, that, that's got to be a terrible job. You know, they, they talk about like the emptying the, the holodeck uh, filters and leaving turbo lifts, but no, like going to work at the deflector dish on the Cerritos has to suck. And, you know, but outside of that, I mean, the visuals for all of the ships are very beautiful. Um, they, they do have a, another brand new Starfleet ship design whose name I cannot recall to save my life. Which is a beautiful looking ship. Um, yeah, all a, of this Vancouver or something, right? Is that the one? Yeah, 
That sounds right. All of the space shots are just excellent. Um, the final scene in the final fight in the uh, final episode where right. the Titan shows up, just an right. amazing, amazing scene. Uh, just really, really well choreographed. I mean, not choreographed, obviously, yeah. but really well plotted. Whatever they do. <laughs> well directed, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got to be honest. When I first saw the um, ship image of the Cerritos, I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, I was not a big fan. Even though, like, I love the Galaxy Class, um, and it has a Galaxy Class-ish saucer and deflector, I wasn't a huge fan. I thought it was, like, I it was something that you're made saying. Me... I thought, and yes. it was yes. as if your opinion has changed. <laughs> I'm you're very perceptive. <laughs> um, well, now it... my opinion has changed of you. Oh, I hope in a good way. No, um, it's it's. Uh, I definitely think of it as a as a palatable like workhorse ship. Like I don't think that ship was made with a like they kind of imply that there are newer California class ships around um, in the show. Um, but I don't. And even if it is a newer ship, I don't think it's really designed for glamour, which obviously fits in with the theme of the show. And I think it definitely fits in with that. Um. You know that that space, that open space that you know Starf- Starfleet's got to have ships that does stuff like you know that that aren't at the top of the line, and I think this app, you know, the California class absolutely fits in with it. So um, it's really grown on me with the with the rewatch. We especially. do actually see in the uh, final episode a California class that has just rolled off the line. Right, it's the one that the uh, Peclids attack. Peclids annihilate. Yeah, in the stinger right. of the uh, first episode. Right. Um, or not first episode, final episode. Right. But that being said, um, do we want to talk more about the ship? Yeah. What about it? Well, I mean, so one of the big things that I love is uh, they establish right off the bat that this ship is designed and it exists for a purpose. Right. Is It is a second contact ship, you know? They're the people who show up after first contact has, contact has been made to maintain diplomatic relations. Right. And it leads to a lot of really interesting moments. Yeah, I think so. It's weird to see a ship that is a, you know, primary mission is diplomacy. Because, you know, in all the shows, you've got to have, like, you know, all the enterprises are all multi-purpose because they have to be for the TV show. But here it's like a very specific specialization, right? And every single, almost every single episode has something to do with that primary mission of the ship, almost. Yeah. So all of the previous series, um, they they establish a, a mission in the early seasons, right? Right. The Enterprise, the first Enterprise is on a five-year mission um, to explore space, which, right. you know, apparently entails flying all over, you know, Federation space and visiting pre-existing <laughs> colonies. Yeah, uh, TNG. Their their whole thing is just you know we're out there, we're going wherever, right? Right. And that leads them all over the Federation. You know, Romulan, Cardassian space, New Frontiers, old uh, acquaintances. Uh, then DS Nine comes around, and they're like, you know, we're here to work with the Bajorans, right? And bring them into the Federation, and that turns into a whole huge thing. Voyager, uh, their their ship had a purpose, but then got booted to the other side of the galaxy and now has a new purpose. Right. And the series starts off with a, a ship and a purpose. But it's the first time I think we've ever seen a purpose that is not grand in scale. There's no high stakes. It's <laughs> right. literally the guys who... The tough work's already been done. We're just the cleanup crew. Yeah, I think the ship in general like fits the theme of the cleanup crew sentiment you're saying there, where um, you know it's it's not the prettiest ship, but it's there to do the work that <laughs> the Enterprise has uh, trailblazed. So they're there to pick up the slack. Yeah, definitely thematically, the the show is well put together from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, for, uh, going away from the, the ship's thing for a second, uh, would you prefer uh, Tendiford or uh, Rutherdy? 
Uh, you know what? Actually, I want Rutherford to hook up with the uh, chief engineer. That dude just seems sad, and he needs a little love in his life. I think, yeah, maybe you're right. I know, uh, what's the guy's name? It, you know, he's a hilarious character, but they almost never bring him in. I think his name is Billups. Engineer, chief engineer Billups. Yeah, yeah, that's the chief engineer. Yep, Billups. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until the final episode when I'm watching with uh, subtitles on. Yeah. And I'm oh. like, oh, it's not Phillips. It's Billups. Billups. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Although, you know, that 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 reminds me of one of the things, I mean, again, very away from characters for a second, but um, again, one of the, the thematic things that are, are, is great about the show is, is bringing up these things again and again that are um, like highlights of the Star Trek universe. So if you recall the episode where Rutherford wants to change departments and he keeps on like rotating through like, you know, command and medical and blah, blah, blah. Um, every time he approaches a superior uh, about the department change, like Billups, for example, and they draw it up like, what did you say? That's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it's like support his career. Like that's, you know, something I want to see. And then what, again and again, every single department head he goes to where he's like, I don't know about this. They're like, that's great. I'm like, yes, that's exactly like the thematic thing I want to see in a show like this. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's very uh, emblematic of, uh, Star Trek as a whole is the fact yeah. that people are supposed to be supportive of each other in the future, you know, and you know, somebody comes to you and says, I'm thinking I want to do this. And right. there are structures for you to do that. They're right. not going to trap you somewhere and they're not going to be bitter that you are leaving. And that actually goes back into where I was talking about how uh, this is a problem where Mariner's character needs to have character growth. She right. actually sabotages Boimler when he's yes. trying to get a promotion and yes. she does it because she's afraid of him leaving her. And yes. it's this moment where everything we've seen, that is not the Starfleet way. And it's one of those things where it shows that she needs to grow as a character. And they do a really good job of showing, hey, she's had all this character growth through the first season, but she's right. got a long way to go when Boimler yeah. finally does transfer to the Titan. Yeah, and she loses her mind, basically. Like, sends in repeated uh, you know, messages and all that. I mean... Get it together, Mariner. Although Boimler's kind of a uh, douche I'm a for douche not about responding. It too. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you know what? Don't be that guy, Boimler. You know. <laughs> uh, are you? Would you say you're supportive of my refill of my glass of uh, bird dog whiskey? You know what? Just throw the glass aside, pop that cork, <laughs> and just chug. Wow, I, I'm not sure if that's supportive or not. We'll have to see. I would make a terrible AA sponsor. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, Trek alumni cameo, cameos. Um, you mentioned the the uh, the Titan with um, uh, Riker and Troy. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but that one of the alien captains was JG uh, Hertzler, uh, Martok. Yeah. How can you not catch it? His voice is so distinctive. <laughs> so distinctive. Yeah. It's like so. I, I gotta believe because. I've only ever seen this guy at like Trek conventions and on Star Trek. Right. And I'm just wondering, is like that, is that all he does is like, that's his soul <laughs> voice. Like he's an actor has been for a yeah. long time. I gotta believe he's got good range. Right. But right. like, he just was really successful on Star Trek and is now he just like leaning into that particular character, <laughs> that voice. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It is super distinctive, so maybe it's uh, it's like typecast in a good way. He's got the uh, that 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 angle going on. Yeah, but you know, there's there's also a lot of uh, other cameos throughout the series. It's not just Trek alumni. Obviously, you know, Frakes and Sirtis show up, right. which I do want to comment on on Frakes because he showed up in both uh, this series and <laughs> Picard. Picard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Odd. his his performance, especially as like a voice actor in this series, was just phenomenal. He was so dynamic and engaging. It was just it's it's hard to really you don't expect it, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, it was, to be honest, when I uh, a lot of a lot of Frakes' lines are like I feel like he he was yelling a lot, like he was trying really hard to be animated. And don't get me wrong, I love Frakes. I love Riker's character. I would say he's top contender for my 
uh, favorite Trek character of all time. Um, but um, I feel like a lot of his lines, he's just yelling a lot. Like he's, red alert! Oh, Mariner, I'm here to see you! Wow, nice to see you, Carol! You know? I thought no, he was but, I mean, really yelly. Have you ever seen him do any, uh, like, uh, show up at any conventions and be, like, the main guy on stage? I've seen him at cons. I don't know about the, being the main guy, but why do you, why do you say that? Well, that he's inc- how he is? Hey, that's who he is, right? He's incredibly <laughs> animated and very okay. entertaining. Um, you know, I, I often talk about, uh, and he brings that a lot into this role. And I'm, so I'm wondering if maybe they're like, you know, he's done all these other things. He was, uh, was he, uh, Actor Fiction, I think, was the series where he was like the host, yes. uh, asking you to decide mm-hmm. whether something was true or not. Uh, <laughs> yes. He shows up in Picard. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, what else has he done? He's done a huge number of things. He's done a lot of stuff, yeah, for sure. But in all of those things, he's very subdued. <laughs> and I think this was kind of his, because it is a animated comedy show, this was right. his opportunity to break out and be more lively and entertaining. Right. And I think that really shows through that, that may be a little closer to his true character. Mm. So it comes across a lot better because he's not acting as much. I think that makes sense. I can totally see that. Did you spot any other interesting cameos? So the only one that I really remember is you remember the episode where the aliens are throwing the party for the, uh, captain and the yes. uh, executive officers right but the lower decks members <laughs> of trial right yeah. yes such a fantastic uh episode <laughs> um but in that the main alien i'm like i've heard this voice before wait is that boddicker from robocop <laughs> <laughs> wow and was it did you look at it? It is, but I mean, oh he's, he's done a ton of other stuff, right? Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Kurtwood Smith, I think is his name. Hmm. Um, you know, he's most famous, I think, in this day and age for the being the father red from that 70s show. But oh, yes. uh, he was a Voyager, too, wasn't he? he, he you know what? He was. Uh, wasn't he Anorax? Yes, yes, yes. In Voyager. Um, fantastic episode. Yeah. It was supposed to be a season-long event. Really <laughs> one of those moments where the executives fail to recognize the changing winds of yeah. entertainment. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, I often talk about how uh, Babylon 5 was kind of like this, you know, sci-fi Sci-fi is supposed to be a lot about looking to the future and having this vision of things to come, but it right. often falls down in the actual production level of mm. that. Yeah. Um, oftentimes they are very stymied by, you know, this is what's popular now. This is what yeah. works in other series. Yeah. Babylon 5, on the other hand, realized that arc-based storytelling was very possible and Mm -hmm. it's something that would draw people in unfortunately they obviously didn't have the platform or the steady uh nationwide time slot to make that happen right but star trek very much did and i was Mm. surprised that uh you know the executives were very much like no we want episodic like tng and by the end of the series you know the the what I like to consider the the heyday of Star Trek, you know, that 80s, 90s run, you know, you're reaching the 2000s and the way people consume television was already starting to change and they were unwilling to be trendsetters, trailblazers. And it really, I think, hurt Voyager especially. And then yeah. when Enterprise came along, it's it still kills me to hear that plan they had for the first season where it's like, no, we're going to start on Earth. And the whole right. first season is going to be about the launch of the Enterprise. And right. that has a lot of potential. The executives meddled. Um, yes. Anyways, I digress. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Anorax shows yes. back up and throws a party for the crew. <laughs> a fantastic episode. <laughs> Only have this room for 22 minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great gag. I know. Especially when it's all like, this is the nicest place that there is. And, you know, I'm this high muckety muck that the Federation came to rescue me, but I could only rent this place for 22 minutes. Uh, it's going to be hard to do this show without just recounting jokes. Like, they're scanning us. 
I know we're fine. Oh, no, they're scanning again. Uh, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Worst portrayal of Andorians. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they're not like that at all. No, they're they're very professional. And That's right. On, on point, you know. Uh, <laughs> and of course, they didn't have Jeffrey Combs. So, oh uh, yeah, what a mistake! But actually, now that I think about it, that I'm surprised that they didn't try and get Jeffrey Combs. Um, between him and uh, Tony Todd, you know, they do so many different characters. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that they didn't try to get either of those guys. Maybe they did. I guess we have no way of knowing. We can only hope. I, that I think we do in. have a way of knowing because they would have gotten them if they had tried. <laughs> you think so? There's still know. the second season. And, oh um, yes, that is true. <laughs> Before we get that, get to there. Um, do you have? You know, we're talking about jokes. Do you have an all-time favorite joke in season one? Oh man. Um, you know what? It's such a dumb joke, but when Q shows up, yeah, and they're referencing not not when he shows up and gets told off by Mariner, right? <laughs> but when they reference Q showing up and how the like senior staff responds to him, it's like yeah. Q is such a just it's 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 a dumb trope. Um, <laughs> they showed up in Voyager, god awful. I think TNG used it. Like people love Q's appearances in TNG, but like most of them right. are not great. Um, mm. Really, only has a few good episodes. I absolutely, you know, hate the episode where Picard dies and Q poses as God. Um, wow. Really, the only one. I feel oh, like I, you're, I... you're the internet's not going to like that. You know what? Well, you know, the internet can go uh, unplug itself and plug <laughs> itself back in over and over again. Um, you know what? Oh. It's, it's teaching a well-seasoned individual who has had many life experiences, something that I learned in my 20s. Mm. And so it's one of those things that's just not relatable to me at all, right? <laughs> you um, know, for, we'll just have to agree to disagree. But, what, but I absolutely your... do love, you know, Q's appearance in the final episode of TNG. So sure. you know, okay. there's that. Fair enough. So your your favorite joke is when like he shows up and the so he's like he's putting them on trial, right? And the <laughs> captain is trying to figure out like, so what, what are we to supposed do? to do here? <laughs> right. And it's all like there's there's like the enemies that like they've got their cars and they've got like a deck of cards and the crew's right. all dressed up as chess pieces. <laughs> it's very confusing. And then a soccer ball appears and she's like, oh, we're supposed to play soccer. <laughs> and then the soccer ball grows arms and legs. She's like, ah. <laughs> they're more. I like that, that would be me than anything. If I was a Q, that is the kind of thing I would put people through. <laughs> I feel like if you did it, you there wouldn't be any actually any rules. Like you know, Q, there's something there. I feel like the Aaron Q would just be like, you know what, random shit. Yeah, definitely. I would <laughs> not want to teach a lesson. <laughs> You're just there to screw with them. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? I, I have to go with uh, the one that has ruined the rest of Star Trek for me, um, and that is uh, Sensors. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the funny part is, so I, I was re- I was doing a TNG rewatch on the initial airing of um, Lower Decks with my wife, um, and sure enough, in the next episode I watch after I see this, Worf says Sensors, Sensors. But then, in the very next episode, or the one after that, uh, Worf says censors. So, what is not what is what is the most minor thing possible is now the biggest like needle in my side. Anytime I watch Star Trek, is like which effing version of censors is the character using, and why aren't they consistent, Aaron? I don't know why. It is you know Star um, Trek. consistent within characters is what kills me. Right, <laughs> but I'm going to talk about there is a phenomenon that certain people do, and yeah. it is that they will take on the uh, affectations of the person they're interacting with. They'll start to mm. mimic their mannerisms, mimic their speech yes. patterns, mimic mm. their pronunciations. Uh, uh, right. I personally have been called out a lot for doing this. Um, <laughs> I do it too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I'm wondering if maybe that's just what happens, right? Is they say mm. it a certain way because 
when they were doing their readings or when they're interacting with the writers, the writers say it that way or the director says it that way because TNG <laughs> is famous for every episode being written and directed by a completely different person every right. episode. And I'm wondering <laughs> if that may be what it is. Mm. That could that could easily be it. But regardless, but it yeah. destroyed Star Trek for me. So now I have to listen to how the freaking character on screen says censors or sense censors. <laughs> Mary does so, this cross-eyed animation when she says it in the show. I just I just think of that yeah. every single time someone says that now. It is a I actually really enjoyed that joke, but it's a very meta joke, right? Yeah. Because as you mentioned, you watching TNG notice it. And I don't know yeah. if when you were doing your watch through you commented on it at all. But I know a lot of times <laughs> when I'm doing watches with other people in the room, yeah. like I'm just doing an audio track throughout the whole thing. <laughs> and I, that's what I'll do. Uh, Mariner's commentary on censors, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that would be me, right? If it wasn't for Mariner <laughs> being there. And right. I'm, I'm like, but she is basically, you know, doing exactly what I would do. She's my voice in there, but because she's a <laughs> character, it's highly inappropriate. And they actually right. comment on that. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Yes. All Star Trek ruined. Anyway, um, I'm just speaking of favorite things. Do you have a favorite reference? I mean, this, this show is chock full of references from start to finish. But do you have a favorite one that stands out as a reference? I mean, you mentioned the TOS one before. Is that your, Was that your standout reference? It's not just that it's a standout reference. Because they reference all sorts of stuff. Um there, there's tons of times, and it's so funny because, like, I noticed over and over again, Boimler will make yeah. references to people that are, like, obscure bit characters yeah. from, like, one episode that's, like, not <laughs> the popular episode, and then, like, get right. called on it. Like, who the hell is that? And then, you know, Boimler will be, like, explaining Boy, it, and Mariners are like, yeah. no, 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 let me tell you about this characters from <laughs> the most popular episodes, and... I think that's a part of it. They kind of inject a lot of yeah. the fandom into the characters where they kind of reference, you know, all this stuff that is a part of the right. fandom conversation. Uh, I mentioned previously the whole, uh, oh gosh, I cannot remember the guy's name to save my life. Uh, but the, the con versus debate um, of, you know, con versus the, Dude who bested oh, yeah. Picard in the episode where he is basically yeah. what was he? He was like Dane, a super Dane soldier Dane, or something. But yeah, the TNG episode with these genetically engineered yes. soldiers that are left aside. But here's here here's the best part about that is everyone knows about the Borg because they right. were a threat to the Federation as a whole. Everybody knows the right. Dominion because they were a threat to the Federation of whole as a whole. Boimler <laughs> knows about Roga Danar because yeah. it's Fits with his character. He finds the best of the best in Starfleet and reads all of their logs. And he's like that, like just super nerdy guy who probably writes fan fiction about Roga Danar. Yeah, nobody's around. His logs up, or uh, you know, Ensign's logs about Roga. Like, wow, I wish I could be more like that charismatic, sexy man. Gosh, it's hard for me to pick one. Uh, I, you know, there's just so many. Um, yep. You know, I, I don't know if it counts, but the um, I, I want to see during the show. I want to see a a Vulcan character do the sarcastic Vulcan salute. I you know I feel like the Vulcan salute's a good re- a reference, but I want to see a Sorry. Vulcan character do it. So referencing the Vulcan characters, um, the obviously the uh, going back to the uh, party right. for the crew episode. Where they are referencing um, when Rutherford is going through right. like his recollection of what happened, <laughs> and it's just him constantly rebooting yes. into absurd situations. Um, there's there's a moment where they're all like, "Wow, you really showed those guys how to do the Vulcan nerve pinch," and he's all like, "I don't even know how to do the Vulcan nerve pinch." It's, it's fantastic. Uh, Rutherford is, is is pretty great. But yes, I hope yes, that shows indeed. up at some point. <clears throat> I want to see a Vulcan character do it. Everyone's doing it. Boimler does it. Mariner does it. I want to see a Vulcan character do it. Oh, man. Well, we talked a lot about about the first season, but let's talk about what we want to see in the second season. You know, I've heard that um, second season all recorded, and it's in post, and they're actually recording the third season. So 
keep in mind when you know there's there's a lot of lower decks supposedly coming our way so far but what do you want to see coming out of uh out of the second season well i'm really intrigued to see how they're going to get the crew back together now that mm. uh, boimler is on a whole separate ship i also really want them to portray how how Riker and Troy run a ship, and I would love to see that it's like this, you know, on the surface, it's this perfect, clean, pristine Mm -hmm. vessel where everything goes right, but, like, underneath, it's like Riker's (laughs) just, like, a ridiculous, cool guy who doesn't Uh actually run anything, and it's poor Troy trying to hold the ship together. It's funny, I wonder how close they're... Have you read the Titan novels by any chance? Any of the Titan novels? There's, like, two books there. So, I'm, I'm gonna... I really wish you hadn't asked me this because I'm going to offend the oh, entire no. Star Trek fan base. Okay. Everyone recommended them to me, and I tried. I bought the first book. I, I still have it. it. Oh, no. I read the first two pages. Just not into it. Oh, it was okay. Terrible. It was so bad. They were so desperately trying to show us the love and affection that uh, Riker <laughs> and Troy have for each other. And it just comes off as stiff mm. and wooden and nonsensical. And it's just, it's all like, were you in an arranged <laughs> marriage? Is that is that why you don't understand this? Well, I mean, on the plus side, you are you don't have any expectations to live up to if you haven't read the novels. So there is that. So there is that. I've heard tons about them because, as I mentioned, they are generally recommended as some of the best novels in the Star Trek uh, right. beta canon. Um, but, you know, going in without expectations and That's true. just can't ruin them for me. But as I mentioned, I do love their portrayal of uh, Riker, so I'm hoping that that holds true to the new season. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, speaking of, you know, speaking of Titan in general, so and we talked a little bit about it earlier with Boimler on there. I mean, obviously, I mean, we've seen the trailer for season two, so we know Boimler can't really keep his shit together anyway, but, but there there's, there's uh, shots of him, of Boimler freaking out, you know, and Riker making nonsensical jazz, jazz references. But um, I'm just, you know, I'm not sure Boimler was ready for a promotion. And, you know, if you recall, there's the, um, there's, there was an episode where like the guy is trying to get the transfer onto the Cerritos because there's less pressure. Um, I'm not sure if Boimler has been in a scenario yes. where there has been significant pressure on him yet. So he is going to, onto a quote unquote real starship, you know, with a quote unquote real captain that it, it goes on quote unquote real missions. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to take the pressure, man. I'm I'm a little bit worried. I hope that that is a uh, an arc for him. I, I mean, plus, I mean, you know, like like we talked about earlier too, the when he kind of brushes off Mariner trying to contact him, and he's kind of like, "Oh, I'm a lieutenant now." I'm on the Titan. He's just, he's just, I'm, I'm hoping that it sort of blows up on his face and we see him actually work to deserve that post. Well, you know, uh, referencing Boimler, not handling pressure. That is one of the things I absolutely loved. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of the season is the, yes, uh, so good. buffer time episode, because I've actually talked about this. Uh, I didn't have a term for it before, uh, in my own life, I have a very wide range of skills and, you know, there's, there's moments where people are always all like, you know, ah, oh, I wish I had your knowledge or your capabilities or, and I'm just like, here's what it comes down to. We work right. every day of our lives and I have been graced by, you know, the fates that a portion of my life I have been in roles and jobs where I am right. permitted buffer time. And there are two types of people, people who thrive and grow in buffer time and people who flounder and do the bare minimum. And that episode is fantastic because they show Boimler, when they take away buffer time, he's at his best because he just does what he's supposed to do. So he walks through the steps, goes to the next step task, walks through the steps, goes to the next task. Whereas most everybody else right. is breaking down in that environment because that's not how <laughs> right. people work. And I'm thinking that's what's going to happen is he's going to find that when he has to improvise, when he has to make his own decision, that's going to be where he breaks down. Because that's that's the right. moment where Mariner thrives. And that's kind of their juxtaposition as characters. 
And interestingly, the Mariner and um, uh, Captain Freeman kind of come to this agreement at the end of the uh, season one, too, where Baron is going to be this more right-hand man or woman for for the captain, being her chaotic, chaotic good self. So I don't know. I mean, is that going to work? <laughs> I guess we'll see. I mean, she she just doesn't like following the rules, but there is that good officer there. I really, like I said before, you know, there Mariner has the most depth, I think, of any character on the show, and I want to see more. Oh, and I think there's a definitely. lot of potential for most of the characters for character growth and change. Um, and I do hope that they, they do a little bit of that. I'd love to see a joke in the second season where like in one of the early episodes, things have just reverted to the status quo on the uh, Cerritos and they have like a Boimler replacement. And I just want somebody to call it out and be like, wait, what is this? The enterprise? Why are we returning to the status quo? I think that would be a fantastic joke to make before getting on with the season. (laughs) Definitely. That'd be great. Uh, one other thing I'll mention, as I alluded to earlier, I want to see, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just romantic at heart. I want to see Tendi and Rutherford get together. Nice. I think uh, I think they make a great couple, and I want to see that happen. Ever Rutherford and Phillips all the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep uh, keep keep score and see which one comes out on top. Rutherford I love it. Uh, it's one of those. <laughs> so um, I do want to talk about one thing, and I don't know yes. how we skipped over this. Uh, okay. You know, we had talked about it previously, and that is the uniforms. Oh yes, let's talk about uh, it. Yeah, uh, you had a little bit of detail about the uniforms. Yes, I I'd seen that. Well, I don't know if this is true or not, but it it seems like they're kind of inspired by the um, the first take of the generations uniforms. So if you recall, well, it's kind of a you know, kind of an internet known fact that like the original generations uniforms, they started shooting scenes with them and then they thought they were garbage and they kind of tossed them, but a couple of toys got made. So that's how people even know they exist at all. Um, but they're kind of uh, Jackie in that they, they open them in the front kind of in the same way that the, um, the uniforms in Lord X do. So kind of they feel inspired by that kind of some cross between those and like the uh, Wrath of Khan monster maroons where they kind of open at the chest, you know, so it kind of feels like a cross between those. Yeah. And, and that actual design I really like. I like that concept. Um, definitely better than the uh, Riker in a uh, shirt that is, uh, you know, one size too small for him. Um <laughs> Probably smart. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things, though, that, like, I just... So, the, it's it looks... Because they're, they're cartoons, right? They're drawn, so it looks like it's a jumpsuit. Yes. If you look at the lines of it, you're like, oh, but it's a jacket. And right. there's moments where, like, they are going to take their jacket off, or they've got the jacket yes. opened. And, yeah, it's definitely a jacket. But there is an episode early on, and you know what? It's the Coliseum scene, where Ransom takes off his jacket. <laughs> and so right. you assume, because you're looking at it, you're going, okay, this is clothing. So real world clothing works like this. So his pants are, <laughs> you know, the waistline is up here and the jacket right. is V cut to come down over his pants line. But he takes off the jacket. Nope. The pants are V cut. <laughs> it's just fantastic. But it makes... you actually uh, since you mentioned that to me originally uh, there's that there's that uh, scene where Rutherford is like cycling his personalities you remember that yes. and there's and he has like western mode and, and there's a shot where he um puts his like you know his like fingers into his waistline and it, and they go into the v so there's definitely like yeah. there must be a jacket. <laughs> Again, we're assuming that this animated show has internal consistency, but um, that this jacket is like tucked into these pants, and that he can put his hands in there like that. <laughs> there's actually there's actually scenes that kind of confirm that with the character design. Um, mm. When they have the episode where they are on board the uh, is it the Vancouver that's the brand new shiny ship? Yes, uh, and yes. There is a character who has a uh, waistline that is not straight, like most of the characters. Right. He's got curves. Mm. Um, yep, and you can very clearly tell it is drawn to be where the jacket tucks into the pants. 
which right. I mean makes sense. I mean, I went through like my first ten years on the job where it was a requirement of the uh, dress code that you had to tuck in your shirt mm. until everybody realized yeah, that you know we're we're a bunch of you know filthy physical laborers. <laughs> Why are we requiring them to tuck in their shirts? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, with all that said, I really love the uniforms, to be honest. I really enjoy the white accents. Um, it's something I want to mention, though, as we talked about before, only science has white shoes. Yeah, uh, I did not notice that until you pointed it out to me. Uh, overall, stellar design. I really like the designs. I don't know if they would ever translate to live action very well. Mm. But, yeah, the white shoe thing... I'm wondering if that's a reference, if it is something I never noticed that, like, sciences or medical always had white shoes. Sometimes, I know in Discovery, medical has white. So there is a, you know, some kind of, you know, basis there for for white being medical. But they don't they don't they don't make a distinction between science and medical in those in those uniforms. So there's like people on the bridge that are wearing blue that. Have white shoes, so exactly. You're you're not going to be on bridge duty if you're you know the chief medical officer, unless you're McCoy for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't think McCoy right. was ever on bridge duty. He just liked to hang out. He just liked to cuss out, you know, Spock, and that's it. Really, he showed. That's all he, why he showed up. <laughs> you green blooded. <laughs> I will say, and not to go too negative, this series does referential comedy where just making the reference is the joke. Yes. That tends to fall flat on rewatch. And I think that is something that happens a little too much in this Mm. season. So I'm hoping they kind of tone that down next season. Uh, When it hits though, Mm. it hits great. You know, like I mentioned the TOS reference when they return to the uh, planet from the original series where the machine was ruling and the people had taken back up right. to worshiping that machine. Uh, that that hit really well, right. but there was a whole context mm-hmm. there, you know. There is, you know, the guy who references how much he enjoys mm-hmm. the, what was it, the Red Hour, where basically they, they murder people and he just bought a brand new scythe. That right. comedy hit well, but there's also jokes where it's just like, <laughs> right. oh yeah, you remember this guy from this obscure right. episode? Oh yeah, that's funny. And it's just like, yeah, I, I get where that's coming from. And the first time around, right. that was kind of humorous, but it's not really sustainable as a, a standard joke. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely the balance that they have to maintain, right? Like, like we've been saying, you know, there's it's it's a <laughs> it's the comedy show that's also like a reference, you know, par- like almost a parody show, but not really. It's got to be. It's got to be good in its own right. But it's funny you say that. Um, that you that with this with the rewatches. Like I think I've watched the whole show maybe three times now. And I keep finding new ways to think it's hilarious. So I'm I'm worried that like if I keep watching, I'm just gonna keep keep thinking it's even greater and greater. It's probably not a probably not a good uh, probably not a good way to go. I will say this um, on the rewatch. That is very true. There's tons of stuff I picked up on that I really enjoyed. That's that's humorous. Yeah. You know, I mentioned the uh, the V cut pants that I just I can't get over. So funny. I didn't catch that until the rewatch. You know, um, some of the you know uh, secondary characters who show up. Kurt, uh, what is that guy's name? The guy who played Red in. That 70s show, Kurt Smith, Kurtwood Smith, Um, that guy, I didn't catch on the first watch who it was. Um, There's bits and pieces here and there that that really I picked up on on the second playthrough. The, uh, oh God, what was that joke? Boil me up. That was pretty good that I didn't catch on the (laughs) first watch. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the the part of the part of the reason why the rewatch is good is kind of for a negative reason, like a lot of dialogue is like super fast. And that's something that I noticed when, uh, you know, in the first episode on the first watch, you know, the, the dialogue is fast and furious. So uh, picking, you know, things will just get naturally picked up on later rewatches, I think. But, you know, there's also problems where like Mariner is more insufferable on the second (laughs) watch through a lot of the, the joke is the reference jokes are just tedious on Mm. the second watch through. Um, on the other hand, you know, Shax, 
continues mm. to be more fantastic every time yes. I see that guy. <laughs> Which I do want to comment on something. Yeah. Uh, so his nickname for Rutherford, did you catch it? Yes, Baby Bear, right? So that raises a question for me. Are there bears on Bajor? Like, are like bears this intergalactic species? I feel like they were probably some, uh, you know, ancient spacefaring race that got trapped on all these worlds when their empire collapsed. And so now, like, there's all these worlds with bears. Like, I feel like if you, like, look at Dominion history, you're going to find the Great Bear War or some bullshit. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, we don't know anything about Shax other than the fact that he's a Bajoran. So who knows where yeah, that man grew well, up? You know, I'm sure we'll learn a lot about him in season two. Oh, Since he, he didn't die in season one, that no. didn't happen. No. Nope. Oh, um, he was he's alive and well at the end of the season. Yeah. I think we're just going to yeah, go with 100%. that for this podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. Definitely. Makes definitely. Sense. Yeah. I mean, impossible that that man's dead. Let's wrap things up. Nothing else you want to talk about? I think I'm good. I think we talked for a long time. Yeah, I know. My uh, my glass is uh, empty. Mm. Um, so yeah, we can uh, totally hit the pause button. Uh, we'll be back for episodic reviews once season two starts premiering. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at Lower Dorks or... For uh, more in-depth and personal updates, you can call Stavros directly at 555-3675. We'll see you all next time. Indeed. Until next time. <laughs>